Blog Talk Radio. of Suspense Radio. We want to thank you for listening, however, wherever, whenever you're listening to the show. I'm your host, John Robb. Today we have a very exciting show, 60 Minutes, Two Fabulous Guests. We're going to kick it off with author Kate Holohan talking about The Widower's Wife, and then we're going to end it with Julia Diana Robinson, and she'll be talking about Beyond the Screen Door in a paranormal sense. So we got a lot of things going, and it's going to be fabulous to finally be back. We took a little bit of time off because we had the Labor Day weekend and some other things. We know that BoucherCon is going on right now in New Orleans, so that's a good thing. Kate is actually calling us from BoucherCon, so maybe she can give us a little insight to what's happening over, uh, over there. We want to remind everybody that, of course, everything, uh, all the shows right now are brought to you by Kensington Books, so make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on their authors like uh, Kevin O'Brien, Lisa Jackson, and more, go to kensingtonbooks.com. So let's kick it off here with, uh, with Kate. She was on before, and I forgot, and I felt so bad because her first book, and this is not a, she's not a, writing a series, but her first book was called Dark Turns, and now she's back, uh, and she's done something very, very clever, and we'll talk about it in her latest book called The Widower's Wife. So it's good to have Kate back on the show. So Kate, thanks again so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. So, again, you know, we talked a little off the air. I totally forgot that I had had you on for your first book, Dark Turns, uh, and I apologize profusely because, again, I, I lose track of time. I'm 46 years old. I'm starting to lose my mind a little bit, so I kind of forget things. Um, I, don't even, I don't remember what I have for breakfast. But it's great to have you back on, and it's great to be able to talk about your latest book, The Widower's Wife, which is out now. So why don't you go ahead and kind of let everybody know what you have going on? Yeah, great. Uh, well, so The Widower's Wife is uh, the story of um, a woman has fallen overboard on a cruise ship. She took a cruise with her husband um, and went over the railing into the sea. And he uh, he has an alibi. Every, he was seen at the pool by multiple people. So, um, you know, it's kind of the story of, well, how the heck did that happen? And uh, it alternates between the insurance investigator who is looking into it because she has a large life insurance policy and her perspective leading up to the fall uh, like three months earlier. And so hopefully uh, when someone's reading it, they, they learn a bit of information from the investigator's point of view in the future and then they, they see something that happens in the past that um, either confirms or subverts it and hopefully keeps them guessing. Yeah, the that's one really thing that, that you've book. done with... Yeah, and the one thing that you've done, which is very clever and it's very interesting when readers are doing it, is because you do kind of set it in present day, and then you go back about what a couple, two, three months, I think, before right. she, before the fall. So you kind of see her perspective of everything leading up with the clues of of what's going to happen or what's going to kind of take place, and then you kind of put that in present day. So the question is, is as an author doing something like that. 
how difficult is it for you to kind of stay in that perspective because you're riding into two different kinds of planes with the past and the present and kind of have to be, I guess, a little careful to make sure that they kind of work themselves out correctly. You do. I mean, there's a lot of plotting that went into it. I also, um, the first draft, I wrote her story, and I didn't do the investigator yet because I wanted to make sure, you know, I had what her experience was going to be in her character arc and all of that down. And then after that, um, so kind of like how it would happen in real life. You know, she's going to, this something is actually going to happen to her. And then I went back and uh, did the investigator story. Um, and, you know, just had to really kind of carefully plot it to make sure that um, it's not repetitive, that the investigator is revealing things um, at a time when she doesn't know things and, or he's uh, maybe chasing a lead that creates tension. Then when you're reading her story, cause you're like, well, I already know that this is bad because he found out, you know, something in the future. And so, um, but I really, I think it helped kind of writing her story first and then kind of going back, doing the investigator story. And then again, rewriting so I could link them all together. Yeah, I mean, so, it's almost like you know, three books. I'm, yeah, you're kind of doing like three books in one. It is. Um, it, it, it took a while, you know, because I, I think I, – you, and then when you're editing it too, you, I, I would have to do – because I have to read it from her perspective and just those chapters, and then from his perspective, just those chapters, and then together. Because you kind of you really have to make sure that everything's kind of the puzzles fitting together. And, um, you know, so it was it was a, a challenge, but it was a an interesting challenge. And I think that uh, I I also really kind of liked being able to get out of her headspace and go into the investigator, who is kind of a statistics nut, and he likes uh, he 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 knows a lot of about odds, and he's very kind of a calculating mathematical guy, and she's more of an emotional person. So um, I was probably, you know, nicer to my husband on the uh, investigator writing <laughs> days and, uh, and more <laughs> nutcase when I was writing her. But yeah, it was, it was, it's a, it was good to write. So, so let's talk first about investigator uh, Ryan Monahan. Tell us about who he is. If you were to be on right now, we were to be kind of talking with him, you know, what kind of person is he? What kind of person are people going to notice? And kind of how does he change, do you feel, from the beginning of the book and, and leading his way through to the end of the book? Sure. Well, in the beginning of the book, you see him. He's a former NYPD financial crimes investigator, and uh, he was shot. And um, what, after he was shot, it kind of it, it precipitated – well, maybe his marriage was always going to fail, but it, it clearly kind of set that in motion. So you see him, and he's kind of recently divorced, and his wife has moved away with their their daughter, and you know he's he's kind of licking his wounds and now doing insurance investigation. And so I think where his character arc goes is he's you know he starts off a bit a bit broken and a bit too careful, and then and a little maybe too analytical. That's how he's been able to to function by removing himself a bit from kind of what would what would be a lot of sad emotion of his family breaking up and all of this. And and then by the end of it, I think he's able to reconnect with that a bit, and he kind of makes a, um, a few emotional decisions that I think make him kind of a whole person again. Uh, if he was on the show, you know, I think, first of all, uh, he just his decision to be on the show. He would have been thinking about a lot of odds and, you know, what are the chances if I'm on this show and I'm talking that somebody doesn't like what I say and uh, goes and stalks me and 
uh, something bad happens because he's very he's very kind of odds oriented and always looking at the statistics and and so I said with that and when he he got on there you'd probably learn some cool random facts like you are more likely to be struck by lightning twice than to actually accidentally fall overboard on a cruise ship if you're not under the influence of alcohol. So if you don't want to tumble overboard on a cruise ship, just, you know, moderately as opposed to heavily, <laughs> and you're pretty safe. <laughs> or stay out, yeah, stay out of thunderstorms. You just never, you know, but uh, so because you call him a numbers man. Now, when you were creating him, what was the draw? Was it pulling from your background? Was it pulling from someone that you knew to kind of give him that little extra added depth by kind of putting, you know, the the, the numbers kind of part, uh, you know, analytical side into him? I like nerds. I do. I was a nerd. <laughs> I like other nerds. And I think that I date nerds. And I just feel like my husband, arguably, he's not nerdy now. You know, we're we're a little too old for that, but I'm sure he was a nerd in high school and throughout college. Right. And so I wanted uh, I, I wanted a, a male character that kind of wasn't the usual kind of butt kicking. I'm going to go up there and smash some heads and character. I, I want you know the, which is kind of this this idea I think that we have of, of masculine heroes in a lot of thrillers, right? It's like they they uh, kick ass and take names and. This guy, I didn't want that. I wanted the nerdy guy who's going to solve things by really thinking it through and just um, kind of the, the, the dogged investigation and, you know, a little Columbo-esque, but without kind of the, the doddering um, persona mm-hmm. that we all know it was Columbo acting. He obviously, a, you know, very brilliant detective. But uh, so that's. That was kind of the, the, the I guess it's the, the men that I like. And then, so I wanted to put in a male hero that I like. So I thought that one. The, the, the first thing I thought of, of course, was the TV show Numbers um, with, the, with that show, because that's about the first show that I can ever remember that really took the mathematical, analytical part like you did. Like, you know, you're saying you're, you have a better chance of being struck by lightning twice than you do falling accidentally off of a cruise ship. So, you know, bringing in those kinds of scenarios. And then we get into, um, you know, Anna. And then we start right. seeing about, you know, who she is and, and kind of leading up to it. So let's, so let's kind of get into her life and let's kind of get into, you know, to who she is and, and kind of how it progresses, you know, kind of when you started writing it until the moment that, you know, she's killed. Um, who is she? Why and why? Well, Anna, you know, why? Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to explore with Anna's character is just she's um she doesn't have a support system. And personally, in my own life, um, I think that's that kind of it's important. It kind of keeps people grounded, and um, you have people to fall back on if bad things happen. And so I wanted a character um, because it is a you know it is a, a thriller mystery, and bad things are going to happen. I wanted her to feel more backed against the wall. So she is um, an American, she's an American, but she's a first generation. Her parents were undocumented Brazilian immigrants who at the time of the story have been deported. So she's, um, so really her only family uh, is her husband and her, and her daughter. And she, she's kind of fiercely protective of the two of them because, you know, her parents were, were, uh, 
taken away at when she was a teenager and she is an American state here. And so I, that's, that's who she is. And I think it, it decides, it, it really um, defines a lot of her actions because, you know, when she might do something that someone else would go, well, I'd never do that. It's like it's just for her protecting her family and kind of keeping that, that unit is just so important in a way that I think a lot of other people might go, well, you know, I guess, um, Hey, I'm going to have to get the, the divorce or I'm going to have to do this or that because right. you just would feel like, you know, things have become too tough and she's just, she's not going to quit kind of on her family. And, and, um, and I think also the other thing with Anna is she's, uh, you know, she's, she's kind of one of those people that just thinks that, oh, if you just keep working hard and you just work hard, everything will, will work itself out. And she's put in a position where that's really not working for her. You know, she's, her husband loses his job and he's in, and they're in a lot of debt and she goes back to work, but of course she doesn't make anywhere near what he was making and she just kind of can't sustain it, and she, she tries to work harder, and she does all these things, and it just kind of can't get a break. And so that leads to some of her poor decisions that then fuel the, the mystery. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a mystery. I mean, this is, this is definitely, you know, leading up to the point um, of when you kind of reveal things that are going on. So did you kind of already have the idea? Did you already know what was going to happen, or did, did, did things kind of change you know, maybe in the middle of the book or writing it that, you know, kind of forced you to go into a different direction? You know, when I start books, I often have uh, the beginning and the ending in mind. I know where I want to end up, and I I have, like, that image of how it's starting. And I just then, you know, the middle always changes because the characters might lead in a certain way. But I feel like um, I I know where it's going. And so uh, I didn't really have have it where I, I changed it. Um, I definitely changed individual plot points and where things were and all of that kind of gets moved around, um, particularly when I brought in the investigator character, but I knew how it was going to end. And I know who my bad guys are when I start, you know, or girls, bad girls. (laughs) Yeah, that's, yeah, either one. So when you're looking back at, you know, with your book, Dark Turns, and now we're going forward Mm -hmm. now into The Widower's Wife, how has Kate Holohan how has she progressed as a writer? What will fans kind of know when they read the first book into the second book, maybe about your writing style? Yeah, well, I think um, I like to think that I keep getting better. <laughs> so so um, that's, that's good. I, you know, I, I feel like with, um, with this story, I, I was much more kind of focused. In, in, I, I was always kind of focused with character development and in both of them, but this one I really kind of got there and said, all right, let's, let's have, you know, before I had the 20 piece puzzle, like let me have the hundred piece puzzle now and try and, you know, move all those, those parts around. So I think that the, uh, the mystery becomes more complex and um, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's how I think I've evolved. Did you do anything um, specific with, kind of scene setting or character development or something to that effect, you know, did you do something a little, did you try to practice on something that uh, from the first book to the second book that maybe you wanted to work on to strengthen or stuff? You know, you're at VoucherCon, so, you know, you've gone to events mm-hmm. and you've kind of heard other speakers talk and other authors talk about certain things. Did you try to, you know, take any of those things uh, and, and things that you realize that you're going to maybe take going forward and, and things like that? 
Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, you get so much great advice uh, at a conference like BashCon, and you hear from people who are on their, you know, twentieth book and their their third series, and they're explaining how they how they kind of um, you know keep people interested because the thing about mystery uh, readers and, and thriller readers is that they they they've read so much that there can sometimes be very little that keeps them guessing because, you know, they, they pick up on all your little hints. And so, um, so what a lot of these, these uh, reader, writers will, uh, will say is you really, you really uh, have to know that your reader is a very smart reader. And so you can't get lazy in, in trying to trick them. You have to, you have to kind of really, um, to really think you think it through and, uh, they, you know, they'll they'll see where you're going and then put your book down if it's if it's too easy. So and, that's what I've learned. And the other thing, well, I want to remind everybody here that we're speaking with author Kate Holahan, and you can find her at c a t e h o l a h a n. So that's kateholahan.com for more information on this book, The Widower's Wife, and of course your first one, Dark Turns. So, you know, you're you're, you're two books in, and you're going to start looking at book three. Mm-hmm. But you have to think with 80% of the newer authors that probably have three or fewer books out there kind of go the series route. Why have you so far decided to go the standalone route? Yeah, um, I guess because I've, I've had these ideas that um, aren't related. And I, uh, you know, I would, I would, I really actually love the investigator in the widower's wife. I think it would be great to see him again, but the, um, you know, what I just, uh, finished and have with my agent is another standalone, and I, I guess it's just where my ideas come from, and a lot of them um, involve you know completely different people that are that are in my head that feel like they have a story to tell. So I, w- I wish I could control it better. It probably it probably would be better from a business perspective, but um, I guess I'm, I'm telling the stories that that seem to come to me. So, so the plots yeah. are what's kind of intri- is, is what's getting you to get back to the computer and start writing instead of instead of like you know you want to continue writing a, a single character. Yeah, and I also think just different characters come into my head, you know. So um, that the one that I I just finished, there, there's a a writer in it um, who is is kind of struggling through a story and and the every other chapter is the story that she's telling and you start to realize that you know there might be things that she's she's writing about that are um, more germane to her life than she than even she realizes and so uh but I kind of you know that idea just it, it stuck with me and and I had to explore it and I thought well and it I, I thought it's a I have a story there and I, I think I think that's that just might be how the process works for me. I, I admire all the people that can really just, you know, they, they live and breathe with a character, and so they can imagine that that same character in, in multiple situations. Um, and I hope, you know, I hope that um, I can do that at some point too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how is BoucherCon going on right now? Are you uh, are you meeting a lot of people? Is there a lot of a lot of, a lot of buzz and everything going on? Oh yeah, I mean it's you know it's great, and the community, the mystery and thriller writer community, is just so friendly. You know everybody. Uh, you know some people expect it, expect that uh, it's going to be competitive, but I don't think it is because kind of the competition out there is for all the other things that could um, take people away from books and encourage them to you know spend their entertainment dollars elsewhere, like with you know TV and movies and 
plays and all these other things. So I, I think the way the mystery community seems to see it is we can all help each other because the more great mysteries there are out there, the more time people will devote to reading, to reading in general and reading good books. And so, and, um, and also because authors, you know, come out with one book, maybe two a year. So you know, just because you read so-and-so doesn't mean that you're, you're not going to read me, a, you know, a month later when you, when you have some time. So it's a really right. collaborative community and I think it's, everyone's pretty friendly. And so it's a, it's a nice conference to go to. And, uh, and New Orleans is, is muggy, but you know, it is, it is, it is definitely muggy in September. They should they should have had that more in December, and it would have been a little bit it would have been a little bit nicer weather wise. But I mean, it's still New Orleans, and if you I guess if you drink enough, you don't really care about the weather. Um, you know, that's kind of what goes on down there. But there's always something to look yeah. at, no matter what time of the day you go outside. There's always something to look at, and there's always something to eat. So you you never have a lack of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is true. I might, I might be. Um, my next story might take place at a gym because I'm going to have to spend so long there to uh, to work up all the days. Right, right, but, um, and or some or something yeah. like near an air conditioner. Um, cause that's oh, there you go. Be, yeah. <laughs> so let's kind of talk uh, a little bit about because we always have. A, what was that? Oh, I was just nothing joke. I was just going to say you're <laughs> going to wonder why all my scenes all the blasting air conditioner. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you know the the journey. We have a lot of authors that listen to the show, and you know, and a lot of aspiring authors that always you know want to kind of get into this. We get emails all the time about asking for advice and stuff. So let's talk a little bit about your journey of because you are still you know relatively new and you're just getting kind of yourself going, but the journey to kind of how you got there and, you know, what was it for you? I mean, how was it for you? How was your experience to be able to, you know, finally get with Crooked Lane Books? And, you know, now you're in this, you know, number three, you got an agent, you're kind of working yourself through the process. So starting off, you know, how was the journey leading up to this point? Yeah, well, I mean, I come from a journalism background. I was a journalist for a decade. And, uh, you know, when I had my, my second kid, I thought, and it, it was great. Actually, my kids were, uh, they were learning Spanish. Uh, the only problem was they weren't learning much English because I didn't spend much time with them. <laughs> so I, I thought, well, let me see if I, I've always wanted to write fiction. I've written it on the side and it kind of didn't go anywhere. And so I went to a conference and one of the writers said, you know, I just want to put this out there that for all the, all the part-time fiction writers, he said, you, you really have to understand how difficult what you're doing is because, you know, you're up against, he said, people like me who wake up every morning and write for five hours and then edit at night. And I'm spending that, that amount of time with it. So, and, you know, and I'm submitting my books. So that's, that's kind of uh, the market and what you're up against to, to get noticed and get your foot in the door. And that really stuck with me. So then I, uh, I, I quit my job and I thought, all right, well, let me, you know, give this. That was a leap of faith. That was a leap of faith, you know, I mean, the nice thing about journalism is that you eat at the, you know, you get paid every two weeks, right? And um, yeah, so I left and I started writing. I I mean, I treated it almost like a, like I was on deadline where I had in my head a word count that I wanted every day and I, I would write for six hours and then kids would come back from school and I'd be with them and then I would go back and, and edit after I put them to sleep. And so it was. It took that kind of dedication, I think, really, to get my my first book 
write my first book to, to an agent and have it in a condition where, you know, she felt good about taking it. And then it wasn't even the first book that sold. The first book ended up in a drawer, but it was the second one that she sold to Crooked Lane. So ah. that was so my, that was my journey. You're going to bring it back out? Um, I mean, I think so. It was, uh, I, I wish. It, the problem wasn't, it, it, the criticism I got for it, it wasn't the writing. It was, I, I had done like a bad seed deal and the, uh, there's a, a seven-year-old who's like a budding sociopath and she's not that she goes around killing people, but she goes around doing things that create accidents and people get, you know, hurt and they obviously like keeps escalating. And meanwhile, there's a undocumented uh, nanny who is in a difficult position because she, she wants to report this kid and explain kind of what's going on, but the parents are in denial and she's afraid that if she puts herself out there, she could end up deported. So, um, you got a lot going on in that, so that one too. Tension. Yeah, and I thought I thought okay, like this is an interesting story. But what I heard was, you know, we just don't do evil children. That that <laughs> in, thrill, in a lot of thrillers and mystery, that kids are like this paragon of innocence. They're almost symbolic, and for you to attack that and not have it a horror book um, was kind of going against basic fundamental genre things. It's like killing a cat in a cozy. Like it just was. You don't do it, and so. Well, uh, yeah, you don't do that, so but yeah, I, I, I mean, and that's the thing about horror, and I like horror because there's kind of like there's no rules; you can kind of do whatever you want. Um, right. You know, with thrillers and suspense and mystery, you, you do kind of have rules. If you're going to call it a mystery book, you can't really know who the killer mm-hmm. is at the beginning and kind of follow through. That's not really a mystery. Then <laughs> there's no mystery to it. So, you know, that's kind of a weird thing. Right. But I, yeah, I totally understand. But. I'll tell you what, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I mean, we have uh, blown up here through the time, and it's been great to be able to speak with you. I'm glad, you know, BoucherCon is always a good thing. You're going to have a whole full day today, and then things are probably winding down tomorrow. You're probably going to get out and get back home um, and get back to your next book. That's right. So, And thank you so yeah. much for having me on, John. I really appreciate it. Well, you have a good one, and go outside and have a drink and throw some water over your head because you're going to sweat anyway, so you might as well be cool while you're doing it. And, um, That's right. Yeah. Enjoy New Orleans. All right. All right. All right. You have a good one. Much. Thanks a lot, Kate. Bye-bye. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. So, again, everybody, that is author Kate Holahan, and you can follow her at kateholahan.com. That's C-A-T-E-H-O-L-A-H-A-N.com for more information on the book The Widower's Wife out now if you uh, – Want to go back and check out his first book? It's called Dark Turns, and you can find all of those on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Um, they're out there and they're available, so you can make sure you check those out. We also, of course, uh, want to let you know the next magazine will be out here shortly. We are going to start in the next couple of weeks um, compiling and starting to slowly start looking at uh, the best of 2016, and we'll have that out in our late December issue uh, just in time probably for the holidays, so those last-minute gift ideas or if you want to just you know, look and see something to read uh, while the family's jumping around and screaming and hollering during Christmas, you can find yourself a nice quiet place. We'll have some books for you to read on that, so make sure you check that out. On Tuesday, we have a big show on Beyond the Cover. Jeff and I are going to be interviewing Karen Slaughter, and also Adam Dunn is going to be on that show so make sure you check out Beyond the Cover. You can, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes, and you'll get all of the uh, shows in there. That includes you know, the Story Blender with James uh, Hankins, which is who Stephen talked to last night. He's a thriller author, and so make sure you want to check that out. We are just waiting now for 
um, you know, Julia to get on the phone here, but we are going to take a short break. We are going to wait for her to come on. And in the meantime, why don't you just take a quick listen to this?
Well, welcome back, everybody. After the break, we want to again thank you for hanging around with us and sticking with us today on this nice Saturday morning here in L.A. Of course, it's the afternoon on the East Coast and uh, kind of mid-morning in the Central Mountain Time Zones. But, hey, thank you for listening, however, wherever, whenever you listen to the show. The best way to catch us is subscribe to us on iTunes and other podcast sites and goes right into your device. You can listen to it wherever you want. Hey, we're great on the Stairmaster, um, from what I hear. Uh, gets you to really want to keep going, so you can just burn the calories as you listen to us. So we're going to jump now into our next guest. She, her uh, latest book is called Beyond the Screen Door. A lot of paranormal things that are going on kind of takes you back in time, kind of brings you kind of forward and things. So we are going to now talk with the author. Her name is Julia Diana Robertson. So, Julia, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? Sure thing. Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. And we want to thank you for coming on and talking to us about uh, this. got an email from your publicist, and I kind of looked, and I was like, uh, let's get this on. Because now the book, I believe, comes out, what, the end of September, right? It comes on Friday, September 30th. And this is definitely a paranormal. You've got some things going on. It's kind of set in a small town in Washington State. Um, you you got it like in the summer of 1945. There's a lot of things that are kind of happening, but I love the paranormal aspect and uh, the cover really gets you, especially you know when you call it behind the screen or beyond the screen door, and you kind of see what's what's happened. You can always you can kind of get a picture, maybe a, into it. So why don't you give us the inside scoop into what you have going on here? Well, it's a it's a story like you said that takes place in the 1950s. There's a a lot of great stuff going bump in the night. And the main character, or one of the main narrators, there's two main narrators, um, develops a sort of gift for the paranormal because she's inadvertently exposed to some elements of paranormal that cause her to sort of have the gift, as I say in the book, woven to her. Um, And she develops a sort of real knack for seeing things that she doesn't necessarily want to see and she doesn't understand. And, and then um, she, you, oh, go ahead. she um, sees a lot of spiritual stuff and some of that is very, very loosely inspired by my grandmother Edith's stories. Um, and my grandmother Edith is someone that I never met but I did meet her in spirit form when I was quite young, actually. And there were no pictures of her around the house. I had no idea who she was. I described the woman to my mother. And um, my mother said, well, that's my mother. And the reason there were no pictures of her around the house is because she passed away in kind of this tragic way. And it was very for my mother. And... She had a lot of trouble dealing with it and kind of talking about it. She was quite young when both of her parents passed away. And that was one of the first times we spoke about her mother. And the stories kind of surrounding this woman that I never met, Edith, were so fascinating to me as a child because they were kind of withheld from me and given to me in these tiny little tidbits And um, I was at the time starting to see things and hear things and not really quite understand the things I was seeing and hearing. And so the book was kind of inspired by that experience. 
you could almost say that you were almost predestined to write this and to get this down. I mean, that's a very, very powerful, um, you know, experience to have. And then to kind of, you know, years later, now you're kind of getting this down on paper and you're kind of, you know, putting this into story form. How long was the idea kind of rolling around in your head before you finally were able to put it in, you know, out there and get it done? I was starting to think about writing this book as far back as 2001. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time I was a dance teacher, I started teaching dance when I was really young. Um, I was still in high school when I became a dance teacher, a junior in high school. And so I always kind of was really busy with activities and work and school and being a dance teacher. So I had the idea kind of there in its beginning phases as far back as 2001. And then I just slowly developed it and put it onto paper. And then I just kept going. And originally I wrote a book one and a book two and, uh, submitted them under one title and then later decided to pull them apart and write a series because there were so many spirits that wanted to have their story told. And there were so many things going on in this neighborhood that I created um, that really compelled me to keep writing and keep it going and keep a series going. So that far back. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now, what was the mindset and why did you decide to kind of set it in, you know, 45 and the 50s and, and in that time frame instead of, you know, more modern times? Was it uh, – what was your thinking behind that? I think it had to do a lot with the fact that the book was inspired by someone who was around long before I was and my kind of fascination with – you know, not having ever met her and maybe wanting to be a little closer to the time period that she would have been alive in, which the book actually is, you know, more modern than it would have been for her if if it had been in real time, but still has that kind of old-timey, small town, no internet, no computers, you know, no iPads, no one swish-swishing on anything digital, I wanted to keep it very focused on not having a ton of entertainment and things to do and that more creative mindset that allows your mind to roam. You know, now if if you don't want to see something or you don't want to hear something, it's so easy to shut the, the spirit world out. You turn on the TV, you you know, go on the computer, you start Googling things, (laughs) and then you fall asleep. Back then, you were faced with... Yeah, we become entranced with our own technology. (laughs) Right, Right. exactly. So we're more entranced with that. Why focus on on other things? Mm -hmm. For me, I I have things to shut me out. I see things and I hear things and I shut them out all the time because when I was... Young, my mother said, okay, so you have this thing, you know, but, you know, take my word for it and just shut it out as much as possible. It drove my mother crazy. And I followed that advice. So for the most part, when I have kind of things whispering in my ear, I 
don't usually repeat them. I don't say them out loud. You know, I, I once met someone I'd never met before and had something whisper in my ear, Josephine, Josephine, Josephine. And I said, who's Josephine? And the girl said, well, my mother who passed away. And it's very rare that I will indulge in delivering those sort of messages. The only time I do it, as a matter of fact, is if a spirit is very pesky. And I follow my mother's advice and, for the most part, just shut it all out. Pesky, that's probably more of a male person because that's what we are. We're we're definitely pesky. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would have to say, but I, I mean, just to Not be able at all. to, you know, my, when you're... some of my very closest friends are men. I, I don't find uh, them to be pesky at all. I just uh, <laughs> dealing with the spirit world um, I, is something I was kind of warned about from a young age. So I, um, I do tend to follow my mother's advice, and it did, uh, in her opinion, drive her own mother crazy. And I kind of follow uh, follow Mama's advice <laughs> closely when it comes to those things. So let's kind of get into because you you know um, you know Nora Lee Sutter that is you know based off of you know your grandmother, but when we're looking back and we kind of see you know her only friend you said your closest friend really is Joanna Waterman. Let's talk a little bit about her because it's always the secondary characters that kind of, you know, build the story and, and, you know, lend to the depth. So who is she, you know, who who is she wrapped around into the story and kind of, you know, how does she kind of progress as a character from, from the beginning to the end? Okay. Well, first I want to just clarify one thing. Nora Lee Sutter isn't based necessarily on Edith, my grandmother who passed away before I was born. She's inspired by her and she's kind of a few of the characters. One of the stories actually that Betsy um, tells, she's a side character in the book is actually a story that my grandmother told and passed down and it's something my mother was a witness to, which is, oh. and without giving too much away, you know, when she grabs Miss Murphy's palm and she says, you have three children, one of which no one knows anything about. And, you know, the woman, Miss Murphy's face kind of goes pale because she does have another child that nobody knows about. And this is actually a true story that happened that my mother was a witness to. So Nora Lee Sutter has a lot of elements of Edith in her. But so do some of the other characters. And Joanne, the secondary narrator, uh, without giving too much away, the reason she's a narrator, uh, wanted two narrators, and her story is also very compelling. And without giving too much away, she sort of develops her own and comes into her own. And it comes as sort of a surprise. Um, hmm. And to say about Joanne because otherwise I'll have to do a spoiler alert. <laughs> oh God! So, but when you were but when you were constructing the story and you were building, you definitely made sure that you had certain elements that you that that you had certain characteristics within your characters that you wanted to make sure that the that the reader understood. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like the the construction 
you know, of that story and of those characters to kind of get a better maybe idea and handle of who you are as an author when when they kind of pick up the book and, and what they're going to kind of, you know, get involved with? Um, the characters, the, the, you mean the two narrators, like why they're there? Yeah, or, or, you know, any of the secondary ones, just kind of like the world building, you know, kind of in, in general. Um, the idea of, and I hope this answers your question because I'm not sure I'm understanding it correctly. The idea was to write, um, a sort of coming of age love story that's mm-hmm. kind of craftily woven into this world, this bigger world of this town and all of these secrets that are kind of being kept behind closed doors and the two narrators each give you a peek into those worlds and each give you a look at what's happening behind closed doors. And the, the town secrets sort of start to unravel. And the story is very much about not only this coming-of-age love story, but also about small towns and about the things people don't say and about the secrets a lot of people keep. And, um, you know, those secrets are kind of coming back to haunt them because now that Nora Lee is able to see what's going on, she, as much as she tries to keep her secret kind of quiet, which I guess I've just reminded myself of myself in saying that, as much as she tries to keep it quiet, sometimes the spirits kind of just, the world demands to be heard. And, um, the secondary character, Joe, sort of starts to experience these things through her friend's eyes. And the story is about sisterhood. It's about the relationships between mothers and daughters and how that can be strained sometimes and the relationship between fathers and daughters and how important those relationships are. And sisterhood is a a big theme in the book, having your sisters around, how they're the keepers of your secrets how they watch your your life unfold and are very much so a part of every you know, everything from you know doing magic in the woods to try and get a boy to notice you in in the case of Catherine one of her sisters who's who's kind of chasing after this boy Jacob and doing all these crazy things like you know in the woods wearing a veil and doing some candle magic to try and get him to notice her. And so sisterhood and it's, it's about life. A lot of emotions. You have a lot of emotional, a lot of emotional um, elements that are definitely, you know, driving the, the book along with, you know, the, the characters and the interaction and everything. I mean, uh, it's, it's a lot to, for an author to kind of have to, to kind of make sure that they kind of get all of that together. So what was one of your biggest challenges uh, in writing in, in writing the book? Uh, the biggest challenge was <clears throat> setting it all up and kind of creating a blueprint and allowing the, the characters to tell the story and finding a way for myself to step back out of that um, and let the characters tell us say what they want to say and do what they want to do. Sometimes I feel like the book is almost writing itself. Mm -hmm. And I'm just 
you know, the kind of creative of instrument behind it. Yeah, yeah. A lot making, of authors say making that they it feel sound that nice and, yeah. yeah, making it sound cool and making it sound nice. But the stories really kind of just exist in my mind and come mm-hmm. to me. And they come from so many different inspirations and muses and real life and fiction life and my very overactive imagination. <laughs> <laughs> and this is kind of the genre that you're going to be, you know, working yourself and you're going to be in the paranormal. You're going to, uh, I can see, you know, I can, I can kind of see that this is where your comfort is um, in writing. So, you know, future books, I can, are you thinking about series? Are you looking at standalones? How do you see the future kind of your, your writing going um, within this world? Well, there's already a second book to the series and a third book in the works um, as we speak. And I just feel like there's so many stories that's left to be told. And the people who have read the book, which are a somewhat select few at this point, because it's, it's not in publication until Friday the 30th, 30th. September, they all kind of have the same reaction to the side characters. And they say, I really want to know in your next book more about so-and-so or and, you know, Miss Murphy's story is so fascinating. She's got this sort of illegitimate child uh, that was born in a nunnery that the whole town doesn't know about. Like, I, I kind of want to know more about her. So there's so many stories within the story that are begging to be told. I could really keep going and going and going until the day yeah. I die. <laughs> I mean, when you when you, you know, start talking that's where the towns, story will stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you start talking towns and secrets and things, I mean, you have basically, like you said, like an unlimited amount of 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 workspace that you can just go through. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you've got a lot of stuff that you can, that you can do. I'm and just trying to, I guess, for you being able to pick those things out and and creating those, you know, those stories coming forward. Um, that's a, that's a monumental challenge just in itself uh, to keep you know to to be able to do that. Yeah, it's sort of in my mind. It looks like a blueprint, and I've I've been writing this blueprint since 2001. I've pulled out a lot of secondary characters, and I've only put in about probably you know a, a handful of secondary mm-hmm. characters that I even start to get the tip of the iceberg going on those characters and weave them into the story because those stories are, are kind of compelling and have, you know, I'll later have an opportunity to tell people more about, you know, my, my cousin Kathy recently said, you know, I really want to know more about Miss because she's such a big part of the book. She's, she's Nora's mentor. She's the person who guides her. She's, you know, Nora is a very talented um, ballet dancer, and she's a bit of a ballet prodigy. And Miss Marina has just, not only is Nora's mentor, but she's got this really eerie past that dates right. back to Russia and being, a, you know, a Russian ballerina. And that story is just something. And I don't always notice how much readers might want to hear about those things until people say to me, like my cousin, Kathy, like, I just want to know what happens with Miss Marina. Like, tell me right. more. 
So I mean, now for a lot of people, of course, we've not had, and I, and I, you know, we've not been able to, um, you know, experience the the, the paranormal uh, in their own lives. And for someone like you, that you know, it's part of your everyday life. Do you have sort of like a story or something that you know that always sticks with your mind that when you were you know whether you saw something or heard something just kind of out of the blue that you can kind of share? Um, sure. Let me let me delve back and <laughs> deep, deep, deep into my mind. I I block them out so often, and I kind of just heard the thing that I. Um, one of my oh, you're breaking up just a little bit. Hold on, you're you're breaking up just a little bit. Right, so I want to make sure that you oh. get this out. Wait, can you hear me now? Oh, I got you now. Okay, so okay, so go ahead and start again. Somebody's not. Somebody doesn't want you to talk. <laughs> we'll just. <laughs> okay. So. You, so so go ahead and Here's start the, back at the because one. Yeah, so go ahead and start back because story. Yep, do it up. Here's, here's one that I did not want to block out. My grandmother Minerva, who just passed away, and um, she's already delivered a couple of messages. She passed away recently, and just barely. You're breaking up again. Something's Boy, going on. I don't know. It's it's all you know. Let me find a better kind of. Yeah, it's kind of weird that we started talking about this subject and then all of a sudden <laughs> your phone starts crackling. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. Of, that's kind of freaky. I gotta let you. I gotta it, tell you. I got some way, goosebumps. That's the way the spirit world kind of works. Maybe my grandmother Minerva <laughs> doesn't want me to mention her. Maybe she doesn't, because I mean, you literally—it was just cracking up, or you were just silent. And I'm like, oh no, did she, did we lose her? And, so, and all of a sudden, I would hear something. So, wow. so, it, so yeah. So we got a couple minutes left. So I mean, um, yeah. So go I'll ahead try and finish and tell your, your story. Finish and let's see. Let's see if Minerva lets me finish it. <laughs> okay, do it. Up. Um. So, so she's she's kind of been around. She passed away on May seventh, which is pretty recent and um you know i was kind of you know really taken aback and bawling and in my bathroom and i was just so upset she was like a mother to me she helped raise me and my father had recently entrusted me with every single family photograph that he had in the house and my mom is a you know wonderful photographer and she takes pictures and pictures so there's thousands of photos and I went down to the basement and you know they were completely organized albums everywhere and the first album I picked up I to a picture of my grandfather now there's not a lot of photos of that side of the family and there's only one photo that is the photo my grandmother kept with a candle lit for as far back as I can remember, because they're like Romeo and Juliet, my grandmother and, and her husband, Joseph. He passed away a long time ago. And that was the photo that I found. And then I, I not too long after, saw her um, during a very 
kind of trying moment in my life, she came to see me and she kind of wrapped her arms around me and held me really close. It's kind of a difficult thing to explain if you haven't experienced it, but it's sort of like getting a hug from the other side. And she just kind of encased me in her arms, you know, to say everything's going to be okay. And then I, uh, I was going through not too long after another very difficult moment in life. And um, I said to my grandmother, Grandma, I know you're probably really busy reuniting with Joseph, your, your beloved. I mean, she loved this man so much. Um, but if you can help me with this one thing, I really could use your help. And um, it involved a, a contract that I was working on. And not maybe a day later, I went to print up the contract. And before that, the contract printed up a photo of my grandmother watching over me while I'm swimming in the pool. She was always watching over me. She's in the background just on the porch looking out at me and my sister in the swimming pool, printed up. And then the contract printed. And I had specifically asked for her help with this one thing. I said, Grandma, I know you're busy, but I'm really in a tough spot here. If you could help me with this, I'd I'd really appreciate it. So I took that photo and I framed it and I put it downstairs in my house. Wow, 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 wow. Well, I'll tell you, Julia, thank you so much. a recent experience. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing and talking about uh, your book, again, out September 30th, called Beyond the Screen Door. If you want to know more information, make sure you go to juliadianarobertson.com for more information. There's a countdown on the page for September 30th, um, 12 days, 10 hours, 32 minutes, and 54, 53, 52 seconds of this counting. <laughs> so make sure you go on there and check that out uh, again. So thank you so much for coming on, and have a great one, and we will talk with you later. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate sure. it. Thank have you. Have a great, Bye-bye. great rest of the beautiful day. Bye. You too. Enjoy. So again, everybody. That was Julia Diana Robertson, and her book is called Beyond the Screen Door. We want to thank Kate Holohan for coming on and speaking about her book, The Widower's Wife. It's been a fabulous show. Again, uh, make sure you check us out on iTunes. Get the podcast. Get it all into your device to listen to it whenever you want to. The Story Blender was on last night. We're going to have Beyond the Cover coming up on Tuesday. A lot of things going on. Crime and Science Radio was last Saturday. They have a show that's going to be in October. They're going to be once a month, uh, kind of spreading things out a little bit to uh, get some different kinds of guests. So until next time, everybody, like we always say, keep reading. Enjoy. Bye-bye.